0: Well, I'm always excited to start a new series, and partly part of that's my ADD. But I'm really excited to start this one because we're calling it He Said, She Said, God Said, and I love series that are for everyone. I mean, this is a series for everybody. Whether you're married, whether you wish you were married, whether you're married and you wish you weren't married, okay? Single, divorced, widow, teenager, this is for you because in this series, we're going to be talking about the differences between men and women. And until the Supreme Court rules otherwise... All of us fall into one of those two categories. Now, they could take that up, and they could change that at any time now, because I believe society would love nothing more than to pretend that there really is no differences between men and women, that we're the same. But you and I know that's just not true. We are as different as night and day, and it's okay, because that's the way that God created us. In fact, preparing for the message, you guys have sent me a lot of stuff. I've been doing a little bit of research, but I came across several things that just show us how men and women are different. Go ahead and put the first one up. See, um, go ahead and put it up. See, that's what, when a woman looks in the mirror, that's what she sees. All right, but what a man looks in the mirror, let me show you what he sees. Go ahead, put it up, Mark. See, we, we, we're just different that way. Now, you ladies, you like to drag men shopping. Go ahead and show the first one. This is, this is what you ladies see when you go shopping, right? Show, this is what a man sees when he looks at that very same dress. See, that, we're, just, we're just made different. I was really reminded of that this week. I mean, God knows what I'm speaking on, so God has a way of giving me these perfect illustrations. About 2.30, Tuesday morning, um, Laura woke me up, and she said, Honey, there's there's a mouse in your nightstand. Now, she didn't say it quite that calmly. She said, There's a mouse in your nightstand. I said, Honey, you're hallucinating. You're dreaming. Go back to sleep. There's no way there's a mouse. Why would a mouse be in my nightstand, right? And so I laid there, and about a minute later, I heard the familiar... And I said, oh, honey, there is a mouse in my nightstand. Now, at this time, she is standing in the middle of the bed. Because in her mind, if there's a mouse in the nightstand, there must be be mice all over the floor everywhere so she is trying to figure out how can I jump from the bed through the door into the hallway without having to touch the bedroom floor by the way if she could have pulled that off I'd have figured out how to make some money off that you know what I'm saying I'd her in the Olympus or something so finally I said honey let me get you downstairs so I got her downstairs got her all comfortable on the couch I said I'll take care of the mouse so I go back upstairs I, I go in the garage I get a little mouse trap I had and I go back upstairs and I'm thinking well I'll just put this mouse trap in my drawer and and I'll get the mouse and I open the drawer and it looks at me with this little beady eye and jumps right at me and jumps out and runs under the bed. Now i got a problem. (laughs) Because if I tell Laura that mouse is under our bed and I don't catch it, she's never going back in that room. In fact, I'm probably going to have to sell the house. I know that. So I finally put the mouse trap out, and I go back downstairs, and about two minutes later I hear whap right and I go up and I get the mouse and I, I'm going back to bed there's no way I could get her back into the bedroom she is petrified she says, I guarantee you if there's one there's more there's a family somewhere in our house I'm not going back up there and so this is what amazes me about women you can have a baby Irma Bombeck once said to men if you want to know what it's like to have a baby take your upper lip and pull it over your head that's what it's, that's what it's like to have a baby you will have a baby not once you'll choose to do it again And maybe a third or fourth time, ladies, you will take hot boiling wax, pour it on your legs and rip it off just like that, right? But you're petrified of a mouse. We're as different as night and day. We're different. And hopefully by identifying in this series how we're going to be different, why we're different, it will enable us to be able to relate to one another the way God created and designed us to relate to one another. And I got to tell you, when men and women... When they can relate, as God designed it, it is absolute beautiful music. It's like a symphony. Now, we're going to spend the first two weeks of our series talking to men about what you need to know about women. So go ahead. I hope you wore your steel-toed shoes. And then we're going to spend the last two weeks talking to women about what you need to know about men. Not what I think you need to know, but what God says we need to know. So if you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. By the way, if you're new here, let me just, I'm going to put out a disclaimer this is not a politically correct series. This is not what our society is going to say to you. This is not what our culture is going to say to you. In fact, there was a lady just recently on the news and the news and the media was just bashing her because she said in her professional career she put her husband above her children. People, that's so biblical, it's ridiculous. And the media was coming after, how can you do that? How can you say that you you put your husband over your children? See, these aren't the things that society is going to teach us. Or it would be, he said, she said, society said, okay? Or he said, she said, the Supreme Court said. But this series is, he said, she said, God said. So I'm going to tell you what God has to say about our relationships. Then you're going to have to determine how you're going to apply it to your life. By the way, uh, since I'm talking to the men, let me just say this. I know right away, because I just know how men are. This is why men don't like to go to counseling. They don't like to really deal with issues. Because I'm talking to you, there's going to be a tendency to put up a wall, and and you're going to disqualify what you hear by thinking things like, your situation is different. Uh, You're going to be thinking things. You don't understand my wife. You don't understand our circumstances. You don't understand my mom or something. That, That may be true for most people, but you don't understand, Mike, what goes on in our home. Or maybe you're here this weekend, and you're a kid, and you're thinking, well, Mike, that sounds great, but you don't understand my mom you don't understand how she embarrasses me you don't understand how out of touch she is with society how she doesn't have a clue so before you go there let me just go ahead and tell you the apostle Peter knew all of that so at the very beginning of this passage he makes a statement that is so packed so loaded with truth we literally could spend an entire series on this and I think I will one of these days but he says this in 1 Peter 3 7 he says husbands In the same way. Now, this is what's interesting to me. He says, in the same way. Now, understand, let me give you a little Bible study tip. Anytime you're reading the Bible and you come across a phrase like, in the same way, that ought to send up a red flag. Because that tells us that Peter is now referring back to something that he talked about earlier. So for us to understand fully where Peter's going to go in this passage, what he's going to say, we've got to go back and understand what he just said so we can compare it to in the same way. We've got to get the context. So let me give you the context. Turn back one page to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, or watch up on the side screens. This is what Peter writes. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? In other words, you've done something wrong, you're punished for it, you endure it, Why do you get applauded for that? You did something wrong. For example, if you rob a bank and you go before the judge and you decide to plead guilty and he says, okay, guilty, 10 to 15 years. If you handle it with a good attitude, why should you be excited about that? You got what you deserve. Or if you get a speeding ticket instead of fighting it, you go in and say, yep, I was speeding. Here's the fine. Why would you get applauded for that? You, You got what you deserved. You were doing something wrong. But notice the rest of the verse. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it well. This is commendable before God. I mean, this is like when people accuse us when we're innocent. Or someone gets angry and mad at us when we really don't deserve it. In other words, Peter says when you suffer unjustly and you endure, you hold up under that situation this pleases god this impresses god it's as if god sits up and he takes notice of us and he says i like what i see going on in that person's life this is the context that peter's referring to verse 21 to this you were called in other words as christians we were called to suffer unjustly why because christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Now, you may be a brand new Christian, and you may not have known that when you signed up to be a Christian. But you got to understand, that is on our job description. Part of the calling of being a follower of Jesus Christ, being a Christian, is to suffer unjustly. And if I were to stop my message right now, many of you would go home thinking, now I get it. Now my family makes perfect sense. When my husband's a jerk, When my children act like idiots, they're just helping me fulfill my role as a Christian to suffer unjustly. I shouldn't be bitter. I shouldn't be angry. I should say, thank you, Jesus, and just move on, right? And we smile at that. We laugh at that. But you got to understand, as Christians, we have been called to suffer unjustly. It's part of our character development as followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, Peter even gives us an example to follow in verse 21. He goes on to say, To this you were called, you were called to suffer unjustly because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Look what it says. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. In other words, he did nothing wrong. But here Peter gives us three characteristics of what it looks like in our lives to suffer the way Jesus suffered. The first one's in verse 23. He says this. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. This Greek word for retaliate means to verbally abuse. In other words, when Jesus was verbally abused, he didn't verbally abuse in return. Peter says, understand as we begin to talk about relationships, that's your example. That means that when we're verbally abused, when someone attacks us in the context of our relationships, according to the example that Jesus set for us, we don't get to verbally abuse in return. We don't retaliate. How's that working out for you? Here's the second one, verse 23. When he suffered, he made no threats. In other words, when Jesus was treated unfairly, remember what Isaiah said, like a lamb led to the slaughter. He didn't even open his mouth. When he was treated unfairly, when he was hanging on the cross and he had done nothing wrong, he didn't look at him and say, you just wait. I'll get you. I'll be back and I will will fry you like bugs on a sidewalk on a hot July day. No, he didn't do that. So as we look at how we should treat one another in the context of our relationships, we have to remember it's in the context of Jesus who suffered unjustly. He's the one who set the example. And then the third one is in verse 23. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That means that in the midst of everything that Jesus went through, in the midst of all the suffering that he endured, instead of taking out vengeance, which he could have justifiably done, instead of threatening, instead of cursing, instead of verbally abusing, instead of retaliating, he just took a step back. He looked at the situation and he said, I think I'll just let God handle this. Now you gotta understand, that's the context. For all that Peter has to say about how husbands should treat their wives, it's the context for how wives should treat their husbands. It's the context for how children should treat their parents. So as we talk over the next couple of weeks about how to treat the women in our lives, understand, if you're a Christian, you have an example to follow. Peter says, if you want to know what what it's like, look to the example of Jesus Christ. And so before we even begin to get into the details of what this is going to look like, Peter says, before you start coming up with excuses, before you start thinking, but you don't know my circumstance, you don't know my situation, you don't know how they've changed, before you even get there, Peter reminds us, there really are no excuses. In other words, how your mother, children, or how your wife, husband, how she treats you isn't the issue. Our responsibility as children, our responsibility as husbands is to treat her the way God has called us to treat her. And if we need an example of what that might look like, he says, check out Jesus, okay? There really are no excuses. And then after giving us the context, Peter begins to focus our attention on the specifics of these relationships. And the very first thing we're gonna see this weekend, we're gonna discover that the thing that we need to give the women in our lives is this. It's, it's understanding, We've got to figure out how to understand our wives. we got to figure out how to understand our sisters, our mothers. We have to learn how do we live with them in an understanding way. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, and we just saw what he meant by that. In the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Now, normally I teach out of the NIV, and and it's a great translation, but this is one of those cases where the New American Standard version is actually a little bit more accurate. It just flows better. So let me give it to you out of the New American Standard. It says this, You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and if you were to take that apart and look at it in the Greek, this is what it literally means. Live with your wives according to knowledge. That's what he challenges us to do: live with your wives according to. to ch- this is what it means. It means that we're to know our wives in such a way that when they say something or do something we don't understand, before we react and before we respond, it is our responsibility to see it from their perspective. And I know what some of you men are thinking. You're hearing that and you think, "There's no way. I've tried that, Mike. She won't let me. She won't be rational." All she says is, you don't understand, and she cries. And she's right, I don't understand, so I cry, right? I mean, that may be the case. But Peter says, even though that's the case, there's no excuse to stop the process. There's no excuse to stop trying. And this is where it's gonna push back against you ladies a little bit. It's because God has called us, and I'll develop this more throughout the series. God has called us as men. God has called us as husbands. He has called us as fathers to set the pace in our homes. And the pace is this. We have to put ourselves into the mode of seeking to understand our wives. In fact, men, our full-time job is to see life and careers and children and carpooling and chores and even hormones. To see it all to the best of our ability from our wife's perspective. In fact, your responsibility isn't to figure out why she says the things she says. Our responsibility as men is to try to figure out why she, why she feels the way she feels. And whether we like it or not, that's what it means to live with our wives, the women in our lives, in an understanding way. And naturally, this is difficult for men because we kind of come at life from a different perspective than women do. And and our tendency is, you know, if you're married, is, is to listen to our wives. And when we listen, we naturally listen from a male perspective. For example, we can tell something's wrong. And so we say, what's wrong? Okay. And then they begin to unload, you know. They tell us what's bothering them. They tell us why they're upset, why they're crying, why they're hurt, why they're disappointed. And and women, you don't think we're listening, but we're really listening. But we're also doing something else when we're listening. So we listen and we respond, and this is how we usually respond. Honey, I heard you. And I understand the situation. But honey, I just ran that scenario through my grid, and I don't have any of those feelings. Therefore, honey, you shouldn't feel that way either. Now, is that right? Is that what happens? Honey, that doesn't sound like how I would feel. You shouldn't feel that way either. But you got to understand, men, for a man that's been called to live with his wife in an understanding way, it isn't for you to try to change how your wife feels. It's your responsibility to understand why she feels the way she feels. I'll give you an example few years ago we've been living in our house for about 12 years this is when the market really crashed nobody was selling their homes all of our homes were losing value well my son's in real estate so he came to me and he said hey mom dad you guys ought to sell your home we said that makes no sense whatsoever Well, you ought to just try because if you could sell your home you could buy a home that's just sitting on the market and you could lowball it and maybe you could get back some of that equity you lost when you moved from california here to start the church you're going to need it for retirement one day you ought to just try it So our home was in good shape. There really wasn't anything to do to it. So we decided, let's just put it up on the market and see what happens. Well, the next week I left for Africa. And you got to understand, when we go to Africa, the Central African Republic, it's not like you see Africa. It's not like South Africa. It's not like these really nice parts of Africa. I mean, we're out in the middle of the rainforest, and there are no cell phone towers, okay? So if you want to communicate with home, you get on a satellite phone, which means you've got to find an open space where there's no canopy of trees. You've got to find where this satellite is. You've got to point the antenna to the satellite, and you've got to try to make the phone call, and you're probably going to lose connection several times. But I'll never forget, it was a Saturday night, wanted to call Laura I missed her I went out I found an opening I got her on the phone and I said how's it going she said well guess what I said what we sold our house (laughs) I said that is so cool her response was (laughs) I'm like whoa 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 honey this was your idea you wanted to sell the house right and she said but you don't understand how I feel how stressed I am why are you stressed Because we have to be out of 30 days and we don't have anywhere to live. And I'm like, well, find us a house. (laughs) You go, girl, you know. (laughs) Now I'm running this through my grid, right? I'm calculating. And that makes perfect sense to me because you know what? The very first house we ever lived in Laura bought it. I didn't see it till I was actually carrying some boxes in. I'm like, this is a dump. It needs some work, but it'll be okay. That's the first time I saw the house because I don't really care. Anytime after that, if Laura wanted to move, I said, you go find the houses. I don't do that. I don't go to open houses. I don't look at models. You narrow it down to one or two. And if you want my token opinion, I will come and give it to you. But you narrow it down to one or two. That's the way we've always operated. There's not one piece of furniture in our house I had anything to do with. Not one. In fact, somebody saw me this weekend and said, we don't like your shoes. You think I pick my shoes? I don't even pick my underwear, people. I'm calculating this. And some of you men are thinking, wow, you're a henpeg. Your life m- must suck. It's all about perspective. I see myself as a kept man. That's what I, I mean. It's all, it's all about perspective, right? So I'm running it through my grid, and I'm, I'm realizing, I said, honey, this is no big deal. You really shouldn't feel that way. Not the right response, right? Fortunately, I lost the satellite. But anyway. When I got home and we finally started talking, what I realized was, yeah, where were we gonna move? The house she wanted to move to. But what I realized was she just didn't wanna go through this by herself. Whether it was my token approval, my token input, she wanted the security that I was gonna be okay with it. And I was reminded in that situation, it's not my job to change the way Laura feels. It's my job to somehow connect the event With the emotion, and then figure out why she feels the way she feels. I have to see it from her perspective. By the way, let me just say this this kind of as a side note. When a woman has an affair, this is usually why. Now, I'll talk about in a few weeks why men usually have affairs, but why women have affairs, this is usually the reason. It's probably because she's married to a man. Who every time she tries to express her feelings, his reaction is, that's stupid. You just shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. And then maybe one day in a chance meeting, she meets a man who listens beyond what she says. And he actually hears what she feels. And she walks away from that encounter thinking, I finally met a man. I've met a real man, you know, who understands how I feel. And without ever meaning to, she didn't plan on it. Her heart connects with that man, and she's drawn to that man. And you got to understand, it's the way God created her. Now, women, it's never, ever right for you to act on that. Never in any scenario can you justify that. But the reality is, it happens. And so, men, the best thing that we can do for our marriage, the best thing we can do for our home, is to work really, really hard understanding our wives, living with them in an understanding way. And I know what some of you men are thinking. You're thinking, but Mike, this isn't fair. I shouldn't have to do all the understanding. She ought to have to do some of the understanding. I mean, I got my own hassles I'm dealing with. I got my own struggles that I'm dealing with. This ought to be a 50-50 thing, but it's not. Nowhere in the Bible does God call women to understand men, which is odd because they, they understand us a lot better than we understand them. But maybe that's why God says to the men, you're the pay setters. It's your job to understand them. Now let's go back to our passage, 1 Peter 3, 7. I want you to see the rest of the verse. You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. Now, again, not politically correct, and I know that you don't like this verse, because women, I understand you don't want to be thought of as weak. He doesn't say you're weak. That's not what Peter's saying. He is saying that you're weaker. For example if you ladies go home this weekend and, and, you, and you arm wrestle your husband he's probably going to win now if he doesn't please keep that to yourself I mean that's not something you want to paste, post on Facebook okay Just kind of, and men get to the gym what the heck's wrong with you you know what I'm saying because the way God designed it in the big scheme of things and we're talking in generalities here okay men God created men to be stronger than women and because of that Because of that fact, God has called men to be the ones that make the attempt to understand we are the pace setter. Why? Because we're stronger and they're weaker. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Years ago when I lived in Southern California, I was really into biking, and, and we would bike sometimes 100, 200 miles a week. But I had a good friend, Lenny Fortner, and he was really into running. He was into marathons, and he was in you know, triathlons and all those things, and he kept saying, real men run, real men run. And so I finally decided, okay, I'll run with you, and I, I, I did running for a while. But what's interesting is because he ran all the time, I mean, a ridiculous amount of mileage a week. He realized that when I was running, if he ran at the pace he normally ran at, he, he would kill me, Right. So when I ran with him, he set the pace. I think what, this God, what Peter is saying this is men, in our relationship with women, especially husbands and wives, fathers to our wives, or, 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 or with mothers, it's our job to set the pace. That's what God's called us to. And, and setting the pace includes living with your wife in an understanding way. I'll use another example, and I've used this before. Most of us have thermometers in our home. They're different now. You know, they got the things you stick on your head, something you stick in somebody's ear. But remember the old-fashioned ones, the real little glass ones with the mercury in them? I mean, if you looked at them wrong, you would break them, right? Most of us have thermometers like that in our home. And, and it was a very delicate, very sensitive instrument. I mean, it, it, could, it could take a temperature, what, to a tenth of a degree? But it, was also, it is also a very, very valuable instrument instrument because when you think about it a a thermometer you know it it, it, first of all it can warn you it can even save a life i mean we've all had our when our children were babies and they couldn't communicate what was wrong with them but they were cranky they just weren't themselves and finally we took their temperature and maybe it was really really high and we knew how important it was for to get them to the doctor so it warned us it helped us it could even save a life if you deal with something you know and if, if you let something go and you didn't deal with it but as valuable as a thermometer is you want to try to pry open a window with it That's not what a thermometer is made for. In fact, the very thing that makes it great, the fact that it's small, the fact that it's very, very sensitive, is also the thing that makes it a horrible tool for prying open a window. So think of it this way. When God created women, God finally tuned women toward, I don't know, we'll call it the the sensitive feeling side of life. And because God designed women that way, women understand it makes you weaker in some ways than men but yet at the same time it also makes you greater it's sensing things that men aren't able to sense you pick up on things that go right over our heads in fact you could go to a party with your husband you pick up when your husband offended someone he doesn't have a clue see this happens to me all the time I get this Uh, my love language is harassment I love to harass people it's just what I do and, and uh, in fact, Laura has told my staff if he doesn't pick on you, he doesn't really like you that much. So if, if I pick on you, I harass you, I'm crazy head over heels with you. And so we'll get in a party, uh, get in a car after a party. And Laura said, you know, you're really offended. So I said, what are you talking about? That, it was, they were laughing. That was so funny. And she says, no, honey, you really ticked them off. And I find out later, wow, I really, really took them off, right? See, I didn't pick up on that, but she picked up on that. You're that sensitive. But you got to understand The very thing that God built into you, ladies, that makes you so valuable, that sensitivity. It's also the thing that sets you up for certain weaknesses. And that weakness is because you're sensitive. And again, I'm speaking in general. Women don't bounce back from hurt as quickly as men do. Because you're sensitive. And when you get hurt, you get hurt to a deeper level. In fact, I came across this one cartoon when I was looking at it. These are men. Men fighting five minutes later. Okay. Let's show the women. Go ahead and put a women fighting 20 years later. See, nothing's really changed because you guys can just hold on to something forever. Can we talk about it again? We need to process it again. I'm not sure we ever landed a plane on that. 20 years later, you're still trying to work it out. You know, as men, in general, we get knocked over, we get back up, we shake hands, and we go on. But in comparison, when a woman is hurt, she's generally hurt at a deeper level than a man. She doesn't bounce back as quickly. And see, men, this explains why we can hurt our wives And then ask forgiveness, and she'll say, yeah, I forgive you. And then we can respond, want to have sex? And she's like, no, don't even touch me. And you're you're like, why? You said you forgave me. I said I was sorry, right? You see, we want to go on as if nothing happened. But the way God made women, they're more sensitive, they're more delicate, not in a bad way, but in a positive way. And as men, we have to be responsible with that knowledge, In other words, when it comes to living with our wives in an understanding way, we have to take that into account. It means that we don't expect them to see things the way we see things. We don't expect them to respond to situations the way we respond to situations. It's because we're different, and that's okay. That's the way God made us. By the way, let me just tell you something. One of the worst things you can do is go home and vent and blow off steam to your wife about someone who hurt you. Because odds are, men, you'll get over it very quickly, and your wife will still be ticked off in 10 years. She won't even look at that person. She won't even talk to that person because women are sensitive, and it's just the way God created them. So what do we do with what we've learned this weekend in regards to living uh, with the women in our lives in an understanding way? I got some application. Some of it's for men. Some of it's for kids, children, and then some of it's for us as a church. Let let me talk to the men first of all. Here's the first thing we need to do. We need to pray every day for understanding. <laughs> every day we ought to pray, God, help me see the events of my life, of my wife's day. Help me see it through her eyes. God, help me see what's going on in her life from her perspective. God, help me figure out how to walk in her shoes so I can understand why she feels the way she feels. Remember, it's not your job to change the way she feels. It's your job to understand her feelings. Here's the second one. And I'm finally getting good at this after 35 years. Practice arguing your wife's side, you know. In other words, before you respond to what she's she's going through, what she's dealing with, try your best to see her side of the issue. And as you do that, you'll begin to see the connection. And what it will do, it will communicate to her, you know, he really wants to understand me. He may not have it down, but man, he is really, really trying. And I tell you, that goes a long way with women. Here's the third one. When your wife is hurt, give her some space. Give her some time. And I'll just tell you, I'm terrible at this. I mean, I love harmony in my life. And when things are out of sync, it drives me nuts. I don't sleep. I don't eat. It just drives me so, nuts. So when I do something wrong and I ask forgiveness, immediately I, I just want Laura to be okay. See, so when I ask forgiveness, I want her to be right back where she was before I heard her. And it's basically, one, I'm an idiot. That's one reason. But two, I have to remember, she just doesn't bounce back the way I do. So I need to give her some time. I need to give her some space because she is a finely tuned, delicate instrument. That's the way God made her. Here's the fourth one. Commit to never sing again. <laughs> you shouldn't feel that way. Remember, man, it's not our responsibility to change our wife's feelings. It's our responsibility to understand her. By the way, let me just say one more thing. Do you know what will cause your wife to love you forever? Or get her to start loving you again which would be the case probably for some people this weekend you know not sitting in a recliner scratching yourself barking orders bring me another beer where's the tv remote you know it will require you to get out of the recliner it may even require you to spend less time on the golf course and spend some time with her so that you can begin to understand her where in the world do we think we can exchange vows for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, to death do his part. And it's a downhill slide. I mean, how stupid are we? It takes some work. And men, it's our responsibility to set the pace in understanding our wives. Now, I want to say something, and I've never done this before. But I want to say something to the men here who are divorced. But you have children. In other words, you're living in separate residences, but you have children with your ex. Even though your family is now split and divided, you understand in God's eyes, you still set the pace for how your ex-wife is treated by your kids. In other words, God is going to hold you responsible for you making sure that your kids love and treat their mom according to understanding. You see, that's your job as a pace setter. So when the kids have, you know, when you have time with the kids, regardless of what the arrangement is, maybe you have them for the summer, maybe you have them for the weekend, maybe you have them for a couple of nights during the week. When the kids are spending time with you, and they're negative about mom, and they're complaining about mom, and they're bashing mom, if you don't step in, if you don't shut that down, if you don't correct them, if you don't force them to respect their mom, you need to understand you are making your ex-wife's life hell on earth when those kids return home. Now, this is what bothers me. Some of you men know that. And that's why you let it go on. So this is my advice to you this weekend. You need to grow up. You need to grow up. You're doing irreparable damage to those kids And they're going to be in counseling long after you're out of the picture because how you've allowed that to go on. Remember what Peter said. There are no excuses. If you've been verbally abused, you don't get to verbally abuse. If you've been treated unjustly, you don't get to retaliate. And God is still holding you responsible for setting the pace. And so you need to do whatever it takes to instill in your kids a sense of respect and a sense of understanding For their mom. In fact, maybe the very first thing you do, you need to do, is to sit down with your children and apologize for setting a horrible example by the way that you've treated their mom. That maybe would go a long way toward a new start. Let me say something to the kids that are here this weekend. Uh, You need to understand your mom, she deserves that from you. If you're a Christian, regardless of how old you are, I mean, you could be five, you could be 25. But if you're a Christian, you've been called not to verbally abuse when you've been verbally abused. You've been called not to retaliate. You've been called to entrust yourself to the God who loves you. That's what you've been called to. Your job is not to convince your mom that you're right. Your job is, is not to win an argument, but it's to understand your mom. It's to try to see when she says no, you've got to try to see it from her perspective. That's what God's called you to. By the way, let me just say this to the young men here that are single and going to get married one day when you get married you're going to be expected to live the same way so it's a good time to start to practice it right now think of it as being a husband in training an H-I-T, a hit maybe we'll make some t-shirts i just thought of that i'm on some medicine I'm getting a cold or something one last thing and this is to our church and i really believe this strongly from my heart and i hope this starts a movement I think that our church has a responsibility to the single moms that worship with us. If you interview a single mom, this is what she'll tell you. We may be single, but we still need someone who understands us. And they'll also tell you this, the best group to minister to us isn't other singles. They'll tell you it's a married couple. Because a married couple, they understand the pressures of what it must be like to raise a kid as a single mom. And because we've had kids and we've been married, we kind of have a better idea of what they're dealing with. I'm, I'm telling you, I've said this before, I don't know how you single moms do it. For the life of me, I don't know how you get kids off to school, work all day, come home, make a dinner, because you don't have the luxury that a lot of us do to go through the drive through Make a dinner, do their homework, make sure they have the bath, deal with all the stress, Stop the kids from fighting. Pay the bills. I mean, I know what it was like to be a parent with, uh, with two parents. And I remember nights when I would say, honey, they are yours tonight. And Laura would say, honey, they are yours tonight. You know, but you don't have that option. They're yours every night. I don't know how you do it. So I believe it's our responsibility as a church to fill this gap by giving our single moms the understanding and support they need. And I want us as married couples, I want us to begin asking this question. How can we help a single mom? Identify one, two, or three. How can I help with that gap in their life? In fact, here's something you may even put into practice. Mother's Day's coming up. What if every family in our church identified and adopted a single mom and her kids on Mother's Day so they could just come to our house, put their feet up, let us entertain their kids for a while, and just take some of that pressure off? But not just on a holiday. What if every week we said, you know, we'll take them. We'll take them for a day. We'll take them for an evening. We'll take them out to breakfast on a Saturday because I know there must be some things you need to do, some errands you need to run. What could we do to reach you? I believe that single moms in our day are the widows of the Bible time. It's an epidemic, and I think we need to deal with it. Now, this week we looked at understanding uh, the women in our lives. Next week we're going to talk about how do we honor the women in our lives. And Peter as you continue to read on your own, has a lot to say about that. And I can't wait to hear, not from you guys, because you guys will think you're doing a great job, but I can't, hate, I can't help but uh, want to hear from the women in your life about how you're doing as you seek to understand them. I wish I could be a fly on the wall. Okay, Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, just some practical wisdom here from Peter when he wrote this letter. As we begin to break down these walls, these barriers, so that we can better understand and be involved in one another's lives in a way that we're filling the gap and we're understanding each other. And God, help us as men to understand that you've called us to do this. You've called us to set the pace. This is on our shoulders. We will actually be held responsible for this. So, Father, give us some understanding ourselves, how we go out of here and how we apply this and our relationships this weekend. In your name we pray, amen.